0: Chapter 11 of Grace Harlow with the American Army on the Rhine by Jessie Graham Flower This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ashley Jane. Chapter 11 Rough Going in Cloudland We're off, the Major informed her, but his reminder was unnecessary. Already J. Elfreda Briggs had shrunk to almost childish proportions and the big army truck looked like a toy express wagon. Had it been painted red, the illusion would have been nearly perfect. ''My, it's windy up here!'' shouted Grace. ''We will be out of it soon, I think,'' answered the Major. The wind was roaring through the rigging and the basket was swaying most alarmingly. It seemed to Grace as if they were in imminent danger of being spilled out. She clung tightly to the edge of the basket and looked down into it rather than toward the earth. What was even more disturbing was the way that wicker floor settled and heaved underneath her feet what if the bottom should drop out what if the sides should give way captain grace leaned back a little so as not to bear too much weight on the side she was clinging to major colt's back was turned toward her and his binoculars were at his eyes those confident shoulders gave grace renewed assurance that there was nothing unusual about their situation just the same, she rather envied J. Elfreda Briggs, probably at that moment lounging back comfortably on the rear seat of the Major's automobile and making uncomplimentary remarks about that crazy Grace Harlowe. Captain Grace was not over-certain that Elfreda was wrong. Going up in a captive balloon is very different from a trip in an airplane. There is no comparison possible so far as sensations are concerned. Flying in a plane is exhilarating, but the lurches and sways of the basket of a balloon have a far different effect. They had been going up for hours, as it seemed to her, when the Major turned toward her. "'Make you dizzy!' he shouted. Grace smiled and nodded. She wondered how pale her face was, or as much of it as showed outside of the helmet. "'Enjoying it?' "'It is a wonderful experience,' answered Grace, forcing a smile to her face. "'Stop at two thousand, called the officer through his telephone. "'Now you see one of the difficulties of going eastward.' The strong light is in our faces and we cannot see clearly. After the sun passes the meridian, visibility will be vastly improved. You will enjoy the view then. Grace Harlow fervently hoped she might. Look over. You will get used to it very quickly. Not so much wind at this level. I knew we should get better weather here. Guess I spoke too quickly. He added, as a sickening lurch heaved the basket, and for a few seconds the bottom seemed surely to be falling out of it. Stopped at two thousand, came a voice from the depths somewhere below. Thought you were gone that time, didn't you? chuckled the officer. The jolt was caused by the stopping of the winch at two thousand. Two thousand what, sir? Feet of altitude. "'We will loaf around here for a time until you grow wary of it, "'then we will go higher in search of some new scenery. "'When the lights get better, I will show you the Rhine.' "'For the next several minutes, "'the officer was occupied with studying the landscape to the eastward. "'Enemy trains moving in formation. "'Nothing unusual,' he called down through the telephone. Large body of men emerging from forest ten kilometres to the south of the main body. Go to thirty-five, may get a better view. Grace tightened her grip as the basket lurched. She knew now what the order meant. They were going fifteen hundred feet higher than they were. Her eardrums began to throb and her breath came in little short gasps. Stop at thirty-five again that disconcerting jolt and a violent swaying back and forth of the huge, ungainly bag over their heads. "'How do you like it now?' called the officer in a jovial voice. Grace saw his lips move and knew he was speaking to her, though she could not hear a word he said. "'I can't hear you, sir.' "'I thought so.' Pinch your nose and swallow hard several times, he shouted, himself performing the same operation on his own nose. Grace followed his direction, faintly heard, and something snapped in both ears. For the moment she thought she had ruptured her eardrums, but to her amazement discovered that she could hear as well as ever. I think I am perfectly all right now, sir, she said. "'How queer!' "'Decreased pressure,' answered Major Colt briefly. "'We will make our weather report now "'if you will be good enough to remove the thermometer from the pocket "'behind you and throw it overboard.' "'Throw it overboard? Do you mean it, sir?' "'He nodded. "'Grace thrust her hand into the pocket "'and, finding the instrument, dropped it over the side.' To her surprise, it stopped with a jolt when just below the level of the basket. It was attached to a slender wire. Please haul it in in five minutes, the Major ordered. Then he gave through the telephone the wind velocity, which Grace was amazed to learn was thirty eight miles an hour. Then the barometer reading, and then he called for the temperature. Twenty eight, sir. 28, repeated the major through the telephone. That duty done, we will now proceed to enjoy ourselves. Hungry? I. I hadn't thought about it. Now that you mention the subject, I do realize that there is a sort of gone feeling in my stomach. We'll have a bit of a bite. While I am getting it ready, you see if you can find the American army. Grace studied the landscape ahead of them for a long time and said she couldn't see anything that looked like an army. He demanded to know where she was looking. About where those little green hills are. I do not recall having seen those from the ground, she said, lowering her glasses. The Major chuckled. Know where you were looking for the American army. You're hunting for it on the other side of the Rhine. "'Look down at an angle of about forty-five degrees. "'See anything?' "'I think I do, but what I see doesn't look like any army that I ever saw. "'You're looking at the Third American Army just the same. "'Now find the Bosch Army a little further out, but not too far.' "'I have them, sir.' "'What are they doing?' "'Creeping in formation.' "'Good. You are an observer already.' "'Lean over and look down. Get used to it. Make you dizzy?' "'A little. I get dizzy when the basket tries to lie down on its side "'and feel as if I were going to fall out.' "'The Major laughed and motioned to her to sit down. "'Going to have Tiffin now. Don't bother us with your family troubles down there, "'at least not until after the whistle blows.' He called through the telephone, and doubling his legs under him, he sat down on the bottom of the basket, with an appetising-looking luncheon spread out on a piece of paper in his lap. They could hear the wind roaring over them now, but only breaths of it sucked down into the basket. A thermos bottle of tea that was still hot was handed to Grace, Major Colt producing another from nowhere for his own consumption. Drink it down, it will put new life into you. Dip into the food too, there's plenty and to spare. Suppose you never sat down to Tiffin, thirty-five hundred feet in the air. Grace said she never had. Were you ever shot down while on observation work? She asked him between mouthfuls. Yes, a few times. What happened? I came down, he grinned. "'What else, sir?' persisted Grace, determined to get the story from him. "'Nothing except that a Bosch flyer took a mean advantage of me "'and sneaked up on me in an Allied plane that the enemy had captured. "'Then he calmly dropped a bomb on the old bag. "'What did you do then, sir?' "'Deserted the ship and woke up in a hospital. "'You see, I bumped my head against a stone wall in landing.' My head from infancy has been soft and demands most delicate handling. Grace said she couldn't imagine such a thing. To her, the major was a heroic figure. He reminded her of Hippy Wingate. Like Hippy, he made a joke of the desperate work he had done and was still doing. There were no heroics about those cloudland pirates. What did you do before the war, if it is not an impertinent question? "'You know a woman's curiosity must be satisfied. "'No impertinence about it at all. "'I had a good job, and maybe I shall have the luck "'to get it back again after the war is over. "'I was a floor-walker in Newark, New Jersey, department store. "'I've been up in the world since then, "'had my ups and downs, as it were.' "'Grace laughed. "'War played strange freaks with human beings.' The officer's confession, instead of decreasing her admiration of him, increased it. A man who could step from department store life into the perilous life of a wartime balloonist was a man. That was the way with her wonderful Americans. But to have to return to the chattering crowds of shoppers, directing this one to the ribbon counter, that one to the galvanised cooking utensil sale in the basement... "'The thought was too much for Grace Harlowe. "'She could not reconcile herself to it, "'nor adjust herself to seeing this hardy pirate "'acting in any such role in the future. "'You do not think so, eh?' he demanded shrewdly. "'Watch me. "'One day you will step up to me without recognising me "'and say, Floorwalker, will you please direct me to the cosmetics?' "'I will not,' declared Grace Harlowe. "'I never use them.' Both laughed heartily. "'You may be right. I may be right. Who knows?' he muttered. "'I shall miss this wonderful life, of course, "'and it will be difficult to settle down "'and have to look up again "'rather than down on a world of pygmies. "'Had I to do it over again, "'I should go into aviation.' "'Those fellows are free as the birds of the air, "'while I am anchored to a tree or truck. "'I prefer to be free, to soar the heavens, "'without having a string attached.' "'What?' "'The major sprang up, scattering the remainder of their tiffin "'on the floor of the basket.' The basket had given a terrific lurch, and, glancing up with a frightened expression on her face, Grace saw the huge bag heaving, swelling and plunging, the basket twisting, lurching and jolting under her. The girl staggered to her feet and grasped the side of the basket. Her head was spinning and her diaphragm seemed to be seeking to emulate the erratic movements of the ship. Windstorm! shouted Major Colt going to have some real sport Grace did not know what his idea of sport was but she was quite positive that if this were sport she was not a sportsman haul in you idiots bellowed the officer through the telephone can't you see we're trying to stand on our heads waiting for orders sir came back the answer hauling down now till ordered to stop ''You'd better,'' growled the Major. ''Hang on so you don't get thrown out,'' he called to Grace. The Overton girl needed no advice in that direction. She was clinging to the basket's edge with all her might. The balloon adopted new tactics. The instant the winch down there began to wind in, the balloon, as if resentful of this interference with its sport, began to buck and dive.'' At one time the wicker basket was actually lying on its side, and as Grace lay on her stomach against it, she found herself gazing straight down three and a half thousand feet. Captain Grace closed her eyes to shut out the sight. It was just a little more than she could stand. A few seconds later she was on her feet again, for the balloon had righted. Now the bag began to whip the air. "'Let go!' she heard the balloonist call through the telephone. "'Trying to crack the whip with us. Not ready to bump our heads on the ground just yet. Up five hundred more. Maybe we'll find a better streak there. Anyway, we'll ride it out, wind or no wind.' The balloon eased a little, and while it still bucked, there was less kick, so to speak, in its movements.' The respite, however, was a brief one and again those fearsome tactics were resumed. Major Colt glanced at Grace during a brief lull. She nodded and forced a smile to her face. "'Are we in great danger?' she shouted. "'It might be worse,' was the comforting response. "'We are good so long as the bag holds, but the wind is growing stronger and no telling what may turn up. "'Keep cool.' I'll get you out of it, wind or no wind. A blast that threatened to rend the bag struck them, and the balloon lay down on its side. It was up with a bound, then down again, until Grace Harlowe could not decide for a certainty whether she was standing on her head or on her feet. As a matter of fact, she was practically doing both. Then suddenly peace, delicious peace and quiet, settled over the troubled ship. It righted, the wind stopped blowing, and the balloon floated gently on an even keel. "'Oh, isn't this fine?' cried Grace happily. "'Rotten fine, thank you,' as the Englishman would say. "'Know what's happened?' "'No, sir, but whatever it is I feel greatly relieved to know that the wind has died down as suddenly as it broke loose. "'My dear woman, something other than the wind has broken loose.' The wind is blowing just as hard as before, but we do not feel it because we are going with it. We're adrift. Meaning? That the balloon has snapped its cable and is now travelling toward the Rhine at a high rate of speed. From present indications, I should say that you and I will arrive there considerably in advance of the 3rd American Army." Trying to appear undisturbed, though he was more troubled than he cared to admit to his passenger, Major Colt possessed a pretty clear idea of what was before them. End of chapter 11 Recording by Ashley Jane